40-yard field goal attempt. As they split out, Danny Dalton's a fake. Tessitore is under center on fourth and two, and he got him to come off sides. John Tessitore came up and played quarterback at the last second, and they make it a first down. This is the High Motor Podcast. Andrew Doughty, Chase Kitty. Before we look ahead to Week 10 betting here, College Football Week 10 betting, you mentioned on Sunday or Monday, I can't remember what day it was, that you were going to take Biden to win the popular vote. Just We're not going to talk actual politics here, but I want to get your take on it because you said you were going to take that, but you never bet on politics. And I think you were surprised that the number was at 700, I believe, what you were saying. So you took the popular vote, but then you also took something else. At what point do you feel comfortable? Because I bet a lot of people probably bet on this who don't normally bet on politics. At what point did you feel comfortable taking those numbers without having any experience betting politics? Yeah, it was it was really fascinating Tuesday night watching everything happen. Uh, so I, I'm obviously I, I I bet a lot. I put a lot of time into it. I I'm pretty good at it. I, I like to think. I usually don't bet on politics. I'd never bet on politics before this year. I'm kind of like dumbly idealistic about politics, and then I'm like, oh, it shouldn't be corrupted by gambling. But this year, I was just like, ah, whatever. So I saw that the popular vote was minus 700 for the Democrats to win. And I'm thinking, look, I, I, I think it, I thought it was going to be tr- close either way, the election. I thought Trump could have won. I thought Biden could have won. But I thought there was no chance in hell that the Republicans were going to win the popular vote. That just did not seem on the table. So it's weird to think of something at minus 700 as a steal. But it really did feel like absolutely free money. The only concern that I had was, hey, when are they going to grade this ticket? Is it going to be next week? Is it going to be in December when everything's certified? Are we going to have to wait for recounts? Are we going to have to wait till January? Are we going to have to wait till Biden is in the White House or Trump is in the White House and is is sworn in again? So that part of it gave me pause and actually made me reconsider how much I was going to bet. But I did end up coming in somewhat heavy on on that uh, particular bet at at one of my books. And then you asked me what I did live that night. Uh, Again, not to get super into the election and and how things progressed, but when when it seemed clear that Trump was going to win Florida and he kind of started pulling away, everybody freaked out, both the betting markets and if you were on social media Tuesday night. I mean, Twitter was like lamenting the end of the world and I make fun of Twitter a lot of the time just because it's like overreaction Monday, but it it did. There was a similar move on the betting markets where Biden had been like around minus 200, minus 180, minus 210, kind of in that ballpark going into the election on Tuesday. And then all of a sudden you're seeing Trump get hung at minus, minus 300, minus 400, minus 500. I think I saw it go as high as minus 600 at one book. Uh, which was absolutely crazy when you consider how many potential paths Biden had to the White House. We're recording this Wednesday night. We still have no idea what happens. By the time this comes out, maybe we know something. But it it felt like there were a lot of options for Biden to win, and and the true odds on something like Trump minus 400 just did not match up to the reality. So I came in on Biden Tuesday night. Wednesday morning, I wake up. 
Trump, it feels like the market has kind of evened itself back out. They fixed the overcorrection. Trump is is like plus, I think, 240. So I came back in on Trump. I ended up getting both sides on the plus odds. Ended up making eight, $850, $800, $850, somewhere around that, plus the popular vote. So good night for me. Yeah, like you said, we're talking here on Wednesday night. So when we get into these college football lines here in a minute, uh, just so you're aware, in case you see a little change in lines, but we are pretty close to when this will publish here on Tuesday morning, so the line shouldn't be too far off. The Pac-12 is back this weekend, and I want to start there. I think I asked you almost this exact same question when the Big Ten came back. How are you approaching Pac-12 lines this weekend after a two-month delay? I think it'd be a little bit different if we were if it was a non-conference game and they were playing somebody that had already played five or six weeks, but with the conference games, all of these teams have been off now for two months, or I guess longer than that for the offseason, but it's been a two-month delay. Is there any opportunity there because of when they're starting, or is that completely irrelevant, and do you like any games in the Pac-12 a lot this weekend? I'm sure there are some people that are approaching the Pac-12 stuff uh, from the delayed start position. I'm sure somebody could find an angle on that. I was more so just looking at it like I might look at it for a regular kickoff. You know, if this was September 4th instead of November 4th that we were recording this. So I look at returning production. I look at departures, who I feel like is is being overvalued or undervalued after last year or after the last couple years. And that brings me to a couple of different positions. I think the, the one that stood out almost immediately was Arizona at Utah. Arizona brings back a decent amount. I, I understand that you know they haven't been awesome with Kevin Sublin. They, they probably underperformed to some degree. Uh, but when you look at Utah, they are absolute dead last in college football in FBS in returning production. There's 130 FBS teams. They rank 130th. So I think going into the season, people are thinking about them as Utah, oh, almost won the Pac-12 last year. Utah, yeah, like top, top-level Pac-12 team. When I think they are, as we said in the offseason, or at least as I said in the offseason, uh, I think they are going to take a step back. So Arizona catching two touchdowns in this game, I like them to cover and maybe flirt with the outright win, but I think probably lose but cover the spread is more likely. That's that's the big one that I have. So you don't think there's any – are, are odds makers – I mean, it's not really even an overcorrection. I don't even know what lingo to use here. Are they nervous in approaching these games because they don't know how the layoff would affect these teams? Or are they just setting these lines like they would normally set week one lines, do you think? I imagine that they're they're just using the normal tricks that they use. And, and the example I could give you if, you if you stay on that Utah-Arizona game is I believe that the books see this game like I do. That Utah is losing a lot of production but is publicly known to be good, certainly last year and the last couple of years. Uh, so they ended up setting this line at 13 and a half, which is a trick that I talk about all the time. They're almost enticing you, Johnny Q public, to come in on the Utah side when they hang stuff like two and a half, like six and a half, like nine and a half, and then here at 13 and a half. I believe they have positioned themselves to be on the Arizona side of this. And that's just a normal week-in, week-out betting trip that we talk about you know, one or two times a week uh, that I think they've deployed here. Let's move on to the biggie. Florida, Georgia in Jacksonville. Georgia is at 3.5. Again, we're talking here on Wednesday night. I'm seeing 3.5. The total on that game, 52.5. 
Obviously, non-betting wise, this is a huge game in the playoff picture. The loser is all but eliminated. We'll see kind of how Wisconsin shakes out and if we can get anything out of the Pac-12, but it seems really unlikely we're going to get a two-loss non-divisional champ that's going to make the playoff. And then obviously the, the one loss, assuming that the team that wins would have one loss going to the SEC championship game, that could be a game for the playoff, essentially a play-in game, uh, presumably against Alabama barring some sort of chaos. Georgia has three straight wins in the series. They've been pretty dominant, uh, dominant on defense in those three straight wins. And there could be a good chance they are dominant on defense again this weekend. Again, Georgia three and a half, the total 52 and a half. This is the big one for everybody to be watching, though. Is it the big one to be betting? Uh, I do like a side in this game, and it's actually the total, not uh, not a side. Uh, so the, the information that I have, Florida opened at six. They're down to three or three and a half, depending on your book. Uh, so you've lost some value there if you wanted to take Florida plus the points, which is probably where I would have leaned uh, at the very beginning of the week. Now, I think it's kind of Georgia as a counter or pass because you've lost the value on Florida. Uh, if, if it gets down to two and a half, I, or maybe even, uh, yeah, no, if it gets down to two and a half, I, I would definitely come in on Georgia at that point. Uh, I don't know that it will. Uh, three is a pretty obvious and pretty big key number. So I'd be surprised if it gets to the other side. And even if it does, I'd be surprised if Sharps let it sit there for more than five seconds, long enough for me to bet it. The side that I like in this is actually the total. So when you look at what Georgia and what Florida have been this year, they are offensive teams. They have some nice defensive moments and some nice defensive players, but I, I would argue that both of these teams uh, cut their teeth on offense this year. I, I know for, uh, for a little while there, Georgia was the highest scoring team in, in FBS college football. I don't know if that's still the case off the top of my head, but these are offensive teams. And when you look at the total, 52 and a half, that's kind of an SEC-esque total. I don't think it's acknowledging the reality of what these teams are. I've seen some computer models that say, no, this this total should be closer to 56, 57, 58. So I I think this is a game where you're looking at a final score that's going to be in the upper 50s or lower to mid 60s. So I like the over here. Looking back on this series here, I said that Georgia had won three straight games and it's 52 and a half. And over the last one, two, three, four, what, four? Five meetings, so 2015 through 2019, only once have they gone over that total line. You talked about before that sometimes you care about something like that, sometimes you don't. Only once they've gone over it. The last five meetings, the totals have been 41, 53, 49, 34, and 30. In this case, do you care that much since these teams are so different uh, than they have been over the last five years, or is this completely irrelevant to you? Yeah, not not too much. I, I get that. I get that Mullen's identity is more as an offensive coach, but I, I don't think he's really had a team yet in Gainesville quite like this. Uh, and then Georgia, uh, you know, it's it's been kind of back and forth. They they've won different ways. I think most people mark Kirby Smart as a defensive coach, who's DC under under Saban in Alabama. So I, I would argue that this game, uh, you could certainly have like a classic cocktail rivalry type of game where it's. You know, it's 24-21, something like that, and everybody gets to go, oh, SEC defenses. But I think the reality of it is that we're looking at a, a pretty high-scoring second half. I would not be opposed to coming in on the first half under. I could see sort of a, a more rock-fighty type of first half, but I do think ultimately this is going to go over the total. 
So that's the biggie this week. Looking down the line here to the end of Saturday night, we haven't had that many late night Saturday night games here with the, uh, with the Mountain West and the Pac-12 delay. We just haven't had as many college football games. Therefore, we haven't had as many late night games. There are two this week that are buried in the national spotlight, even if they are in the spotlight at all. Washington State at Oregon State, New Mexico at Hawaii. Hawaii is a 15-point favorite at home. Oregon State is a one-and-a-half-point favorite at home. Even though these games are so far off the national radar, I always like asking you this because people are going to be watching it. It doesn't matter what the Monday Night Football matchup is. People watch this, and people will stay up and watch these games, especially because people have been starving. Assuming that the election is over by then, people will be watching these games. Should they be betting on these games? Yeah, I, I like a couple of sides in these as well. Uh, I was telling you before we got on, sometimes you ask me about sort of these marquee narrative games that we want to talk about because we're a college football podcast. And I'm like, eh, I don't know. I'm probably staying away from that. There are better opportunities. I do like a lot of these opportunities you're bringing up. So when you look at Washington State, Oregon State, uh, kind of middle of the pack in terms of returning production, which I already outlined is something I like to look at for these Pac-12 games, almost like it's September 4th, not November 4th. Uh, they do bring back both teams' significant defensive production, and I do think they could both be two of the better defensive teams in the Pac-12 this year. Uh, looking at the total in, in Washington State, Oregon State, 60.5. It's moved all the way up to 65.5. That's a five-point movement. I like the under here, not just as a counterplay, but outright I think I just like the under. Well, we're getting added value there because of the line movement. But I think this is a case where people are saying, well, Washington State, we know what they've been under Mike Leach. Obviously, Leach is gone now. He's gone to Mississippi State. But still, we know what they've been. Pac-12 after dark, yada, yada, yada. That's not what I see with this. So, yes, you're going to get your adrenaline going a little bit by taking an under in a late Pac-12 game. But that's what I see. So, I and, you know, you get the added bonus of maybe the offenses are a little rusty coming onto the field for the first time in November. I just, I just see this game as an underplay. That's uh, re- regardless of the other factors. Uh, I, the the other game we're, we're looking at late is New Mexico Hawaii. Um, I like actually the I like New Mexico here. When you look at Hawaii's against the spread record, they have one of the worst ATS records since 2013 uh, of all FBS college football teams. And part of the reason for that is people way. I, I wrote a column about this a couple years ago. People way overvalue Hawaii's home field advantage, and it shows up in the home uh, in the spread. So people think, "Oh man, you got to fly all the way out to Hawaii." Like, mm, what? That's got to be worth. What do you think? Three points, four points? Well, it doesn't really matter when more often than not, Hawaii is kind of a middling team, and they get overvalued for the slightly longer uh, air flight. So really bad ATS team. Uh, team and now you're going against New Mexico. You've got to lay 16 points. That's a lot of points. Uh, New Mexico, I, I think we we recognize has an interesting uh, coaching situation. They might actually uh, have a decent setup there now. I don't think anybody's expecting them to you know play in a New Year's Six Bowl this year or anything. But I do think they're going to get better. Uh, I think they're going to have a, a better defense, and I think 16 points is too many to give them here. So I would be looking at New Mexico plus the 16. I think we talked about that earlier this year, and we were looking at, because Hawaii usually plays West Coast teams or Mountain teams, obviously being in the Mountain West, and they don't usually have visitors from 
in like Boston or somewhere out east. Yeah. yeah, they usually don't have those kind of visitors. And while you were talking, I looked it up. So the Albuquerque to Honolulu flight time is about nine hours with a stop. I don't know if charters can get there without a stop. If they're going to, let's just take Boston. They're, Boston College is going to Hawaii. That's a six-hour flight. I, I mean, I've been on long flights, and I get that a nine-hour flight is a long flight, especially for athletes that need to be up and moving and stretching. I get all of that. But how how can you quantify a three-hour flight time? I mean, again, like what is the, what are those points worth? And at what point do you see this when, like, Washington is going to play – like in Atlanta or like in Florida, or is it just this idea that Hawaii is so far away? And it is, I get all that again, but do you notice this when it's just like a continental flight across the country? I think you more so notice it in uh, NFL handicapping. When you look at West coast teams that are going East to play those one o'clock games and you hear all the time, people talk about body clock, body clock. And sometimes, I mean, it it, honestly, it's kind of a crapshoot because sometimes it works out. Sometimes you're looking at the Rams playing the Dolphins last week at 1 p.m. and you go, oh, that might be a spot I want to bet the Dolphins. And it, it was, and I did, and I won. They won outright. But I think it, I could have given you five reasons why I liked the Dolphins over the Rams before I would have got to 1 p.m. West Coast team. So you do see it some other places, but there are certain moments where the public way overvalues stuff. And as a professional gambler, that's where you can usually make a lot of money. Looking over the... Rest of the games we haven't gotten to. Michigan, Indiana is an intriguing one. I'm really intrigued by BYU, Boise State. Um, even a game like Washington, Cal, first game for Jimmy Lake, West Virginia, Texas. What are your best bets for this week? I love the Michigan game uh, that you mentioned there right off the top. Michigan coming off of a loss to Michigan State. They're going to Indiana, which is two and zero. And you, look, I mean, this is almost the exact carbon copy of the situation you were looking at last week with West Virginia and Kansas State. Michigan opens as a three and a half point favorite on the road after get losing to a rival team that many thought were inferior. Michigan State was like a 24 and a half point underdog. They went out right. So people are looking at Michigan line and going, what? That doesn't make any sense. Well, as I've documented over many, many years now, when something doesn't make sense, there's usually a reason for that. You're not smarter than Las Vegas. There's, there's a fairly famous saying that, that many people say about Las Vegas. You know, they didn't build all those tall buildings out there by being wrong all the time. So when you look at Michigan at minus three and a half, it's now come down to minus three. I love Michigan in this spot. I don't really understand how, the how or the why, but that's, I don't need to. Like, I, I don't need to break down why Michigan's linebackers are actually in an awesome spot in this game. I just read the number and I go, okay. Michigan's probably going to win this game and cover. It just, I've seen that number, this spot, a hundred times. So you need to be on Michigan if you're going to bet that game. Do not bet Indiana. It's a total sucker bet. Uh, Air Force at Army is another one of my really strong bets this year. Uh, this stat has been thrown out there a couple times already this week, so by no means is this my own research. Uh, but since 2005, games in which two service academies play each other the under is 36, 9, and 1. 36 wins, 9 losses, 1 push since 2005. So that's a pretty strong sample size. The total there is 40.5, uh, down 1 point from 41.5. I wouldn't sweat the 1 point too much, uh, mostly because you already were under uh, 42, which is the key number there you need to worry about. 
So go ahead and bet under 40.5 fairly confidently there. I'm intrigued by Liberty at Virginia Tech. Uh, Virginia Tech opened at 16.5, which is another one of those numbers I referenced earlier where they're kind of baiting you to take Tech minus 16.5. Hey, look, 17. That's a key number. We're right under that. It's already moved to 14.5, so it's already moved two points in Liberty's direction. I'm fascinated by this game, and I almost chose not to bet it, not to list it here. I've already, I've already bet it, so you know the, the money's out the door at this point. But I almost didn't bet this because I've been so bad on Virginia Tech against the spread since the beginning of 2019. I mean, I, I think I'm like 0-9 in Virginia Tech games. Betting for them or against them doesn't matter. I have no feel for it at all. But Liberty, I have bet a few times this year. They are a really strong ATS team. They're a pretty decent outright team. I mean, I know there are people saying like, hey, we, we got to get Liberty in the top 25. They might be that good. I'm not ready to go there necessarily, but I do know Blacksburg to Lynchburg, this is going to be one of those games, I would compare it maybe to like a Marshall, West Virginia, where one team really wants to beat that other team to sort of assert their regional status. And I I could see Virginia Tech being kind of indifferent about this game. Um, Not nearly as fired up as I think the Liberty players are going to be you're still catching two touchdowns plus the hook. I do think Liberty could win outright. Virginia Tech has been so bipolar this year, so I'm definitely on Liberty plus the points. Uh, going kind of quickly here, Florida State, I don't love this bet, but I'm going to take it. Pitt opens as a two-and-a-half-point road favorite in Tallahassee. That line has now moved all the way to Florida State, favored by one-and-a-half. I don't love betting teams that opened as a dog and moved to a favorite. But I do think Florida State is the right side in this game. Pitt is trending in the wrong direction. Florida State is trending in the right direction. They're at home. They figured some stuff out. And Pitt has just looked really listless over the last month. They got destroyed in that Notre Dame game. They just haven't looked all that impressive since the first opening couple of weeks of the season. So I like Florida State there. Memphis minus 18. They're playing South Florida. South Florida is like 1-6. They're not good. And we're getting to that part of the season where not good teams might just not really give a fuck anymore. Uh, And if you look at USF and and their margins and then look at the fact that Memphis has been pretty solid this year, one of the top two or three teams in that conference, 18 points is not too much to swallow against a bad team like South Florida. I do think they cover that number, and I think they're going to win by, I I would say, like 24 to 27 points. Um, Maryland at Penn State. Penn State's land 25. I don't care. This is Penn State's get-right game. Maryland is coming off of a win, so I don't want to say they're being overvalued because they're getting they're catching 25 points. But this just feels like a spot where Penn State's going to come out and murder them. They get, as some people are going to say, they got robbed in Bloomington. They, either way, they lost that Indiana game on a really tough call. They come out and they lose, you know, I don't want to say non-competitively, but they were never really in that game against Ohio State. This is the spot where they can get right and beat the shit out of a bad team. Penn State minus 25, I'm going to lay it. I'm not going to think about it. And uh, a couple more here. Baylor is catching 14 at Iowa State. I would lean Baylor here. I've said before, I don't like laying big numbers with Iowa State. They're a great dog team. They're a great short favorite. Uh, They're a great home team. I don't want to lay 14 against them. And Baylor, as maybe some people would say disappointing, this is kind of who I thought they were going to be after a big departure class, after Matt Rule leaves to go to the NFL. This is kind of who I thought they were going to be. 
But they haven't lost a game, I don't think, by two touchdowns all year. So catching 14 at Iowa State, I kind of like the spot there. Tennessee at Arkansas. Arkansas is a two-point home dog right now. I don't know what we've seen from Tennessee that they should go on the road and be a, a road favorite against a pretty decent team in, in Arkansas that is really feeling themselves and is going to want to win this game to keep the train moving, keep the good vibes going. I like Arkansas here to win outright, and I might give a look to A&M as a, as a road favorite at South Carolina. It feels like South Carolina kind of shot their wad with that Auburn game. I don't see them getting two kind of nice upsets like this in, uh, in one season. I don't think they're that good. And I actually think A&M might be flying a little under the radar at this point in terms of the SEC just because there's so many other good teams. I, I, I believe, uh, if I can read my handwriting, they're a 10-point road favorite. That's not that many points. They are significantly better than South Carolina. I would think about that as a small side. I was looking over Tennessee-Arkansas because of the stupid SEC scheduling. When was the last time they played in Fayetteville, do you think? Oh, I who knows? 2011. They've played there two times since 2001. And that's, an, that's another one of those games. I, I talked about the ways that books will kind of manipulate what they want you to do on how they hang certain numbers. I think Arkansas-Tennessee is kind of a toss-up. It's a toss-up that I think will go Arkansas's way, but I think it's kind of a toss-up. But do they lay it as a pick No, mm-hmm. they lay it as Tennessee minus one because they want to attract, this is my theory, I could be totally wrong, they want to attract action on the Tennessee side and make you think, oh, well, all I got to do is lay one point with Tennessee, who is the uh, allegedly better team. I think Arkansas is the better side there. Do you think that works for casual betters who don't? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. It's the psychology of, of numbers is, oh, well, I only have to lay two and a half. And I know even casual betters usually know three is a, is a key number. I only have to lay two and a half. I'm under three. Let's do it. All right, if you have any questions for Chase or for the show, at Chase A. Kitty, at High Motor Pod. If you have any questions before these Thursday episodes about betting, just tweet those at him or tweet them at the show, and we will definitely get to them. Join us back here on the High Motor Podcast on Monday. We'll be looking back at what Week 10 gave us, what Week 11 might give us, uh, and then one week from now for Week 11 betting, what to take, what to avoid. Thanks for dropping by. Thanks for listening to the High Motor Podcast. I saw a friend today, it had been a while. And we forgot each other's names. But it didn't matter, because deep inside, the feeling still remained the same. We talked of knowing one before you've met. How you feel more than you see And other worlds that lie in spaces